Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging from a telephone wire. Y'all remember that? Some of you don't. Or I remember some of those things that we said. And so lying. What, why do we lie? What is this? What do we think about when we, who do we think about when we think about lying? Maybe some of you think about recently of Bernie Madoff, right? He was someone who, appropriate last name, Madoff with a lot of people's money because he was lying to them. Maybe Richard Nixon. Think of that. So, or maybe we just think of politicians in general, that they're going to lie or they're going to tell us whatever they want we think we need to hear so that we will follow along. Or maybe some of you remember the Jerry Springer show. Y'all remember that? That was a show all about lying. Who's lying? How'd you lie? How'd you get caught in your lie? How many of you would sign up today for polygraphs? That's one of those things like, hey, that'd be kind of cool. But, you know, listen, polygraphs are really cool and interesting. It's a great science and stuff, but they tell us that polygraphs don't really tell us if we're lying or not. They just tell us if we're afraid of being caught in lying. And it may not be necessarily that lie, but it's just the the fear and the anxiety and the blood pressure that raises up that's what's um, changing and moving, not necessarily the fact that we're even lying. And so, um, But there are some polygraph experts out there that say it's perfect and you can do it. And Here's this one guy, Dr. Sachs, who is a polygraph expert and a psychology professor, and this is what he says over his long time of doing this whole thing. He says this, lying has long been a part of everyday life. We could not get through the day without being deceptive. In other words, he says this, let me shorten it for you, we all lie all the time. Interesting, isn't it? Now you think about it, oh, I'm a good person, I don't lie. You're actually lying if you say that. We are all struggle with lying at some level or another. There's white lies, there's blue lies, there's black lies. We'll talk about those in just a little bit, but we are really good at lying. What is a lie? It's an untruth. It's something that's false. It's an attempt to deceive. So Dr. DePaulo, who's a professor and a researcher at the University of Virginia, has done a lot of research and studying and has found out the truth about lying. Now, this is actually one of the things that she found out. We talked about at our house even this week because of this. College students, half of their conversations with their mom are lies. So we're like, hmm. You know, try to sort through all the different stuff. Why would a college student, half of their conversations be lies to their mom? You know, you can keep that to yourself. But also they found out that we save our big lies for the persons that are closest to us. So the people that are closest to us are the ones that receive our better lives. So the people, think about this, the people that we should be most transparent with, that we should be most vulnerable with, that we should feel the safest with to express the deepest darkness of who we are and what we're truly about, the things that we struggle with are the very people that we lie to on the deepest level for whatever reason. That's who we lie to the most. Safest place should be, but it's not. The closer we are to someone, the more likely we are to have nice white lies to protect the other person's feelings. Now, I don't know how this happens at your house, but it could be like, hey, how does my hair look today? Or did you even notice that I changed my hair color and had a different hairstyle? And you're like, yes. You know, I mean, you're, you didn't, but you're white lying. You're like, yes, to protect yourself and to help your spouse feel better about this change that happened. Or, hey, this one, does this one, does this outfit make my such and such look big or whatever? And you're like, no, it looks great. It's awesome. It's good. That's how we discuss that with ladies. Now, also, guys, this is what we do. We're like, hey, my fish was this big. You know, I caught that fish and it started out here. And so the more we tell it, we talk about, hey, listen, I know that I can lift 
550 pounds is what you say, but it's really five pounds and 50 ounces. You know, you don't really, you kind of leave some of the little details out so that we will look better about us. Here's the interesting truth is this, is that we teach our children to lie. When our children are born, they do not lie. They can only tell the truth. We teach them to lie. So that by the times that they're three to five years of age, they're figuring out that the parents, us as parents and other adults, are lying to them, and they're figuring out what are lies and what are truth. And so we're helping shape the lying habits in their brain. Research is telling us that the most effectively between the ages of three and five years old, they're catching on to what we're doing. And so, and as parents and as adults, we lie most of the time to, for good reasons. We want to protect our kids or whatever. And so one of the reasons that we lie is to protect them. We tell them, hey, there might be, they might be sensing that there's some chaos or something isn't all right. And so we'll tell them, hey, listen, everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. And we, because we want to protect them. We want them to feel safe in a situation that may not necessarily be safe, or they're sensing something innately in them, and we're trying to help them feel protected. We also lie to encourage them. Now listen, this is how it's happened at some of your houses. Your child brings this wonderful piece of art to you, and you're like, oh, this thing is beautiful. And on the inside, you're like, mm, you know, don't go to art school, Picasso. You're not going to be, right? And so we, we, we lie to encourage or, you know, your child plays an instrument or something and you're like, man, I just spent 600 bucks on a saxophone and like that thing, we're going to get rid of that thing. But as they come out, and they're like, how does it sound? You're like, oh, my gosh, that is the great. I cannot wait to the Christmas concert to hear you make songs. You know, you're just excited about it. We lie to encourage and to protect. We also lie sometimes because we know that if they told the truth, that it would be hurtful to someone else. And so in particular family, and we don't want them to hurt our family's feelings because we want an inheritance or whatever it is, you know. And so you teach your kids, like you'll say something like this. Now listen, son or daughter, tell Aunt Bertha thank you for those hand-knitted nose mitten that they got. And it's a rainbow color. I know that it's ugly. I know that it's not going to, you're never going to use it in LaGrange, Texas, but Aunt Bertha spent time making this hand-knitted nose mitten for you. So you just put it over your ears in front of her and take some pictures and we'll, then we'll hide it. And so they do. They say thank you and they hug Aunt Bertha and everything's great. And the whole time they're like, why is my mom and dad making me lie about this thing? It's because we're teaching them that's socially polite. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings. By the time that a kid is five years old, they are experts at lying. So you've been around kids at five years old. Why? Because they're trying to get out of punishment or they're trying to get out of chores. So they've learned by the age of five, hey, I can lie. I can kind of fabricate some stuff so that I don't get the full part of punishment or I can get out of some of the chores. And so they've figured this out by the age of five. At 11 and 12, they begin to have feelings of empathy or compassion or sympathy for others. And so at 11 or 12, they'll actually start lying to protect their friends and others around them because they don't want their friends to get in trouble or they, they don't want people to know, like maybe they know some things about their, their, their friend's house or something like that, and so they don't want people to know about their friends. So they have some, some sympathy and empathy. So those are some good things. Those are good reasons to, to not divulge the entire truth, right? Now, this next one won't surprise any, any of us, I don't think, but between the ages of 13 and 18, 75% of the words that come out of a 13 and 18-year-old's mouth is a lie. 
And you're like, wow, I'm pretty, if you're, if you're older than that, you're like, wow, that's actually pretty good. I would have thought 80 to 85% when I was a teenager, right? And so what is that? Why is that between the ages of 13 and 18 that they're, most of their words, conversations are lies, partly because they're figuring out who they are and they're exerting independence. And so they want to, they want to have their own life. They want, they're kind of pushing away from parents. They're pushing away from authority. And so if they fear that they're going to get caught, if they fear that there's going to be consequences, they're going to push away from that. And I would say that sometimes that's our fault as parents and that we should be, again, we should be a safe place. We should be a safety net so that our kids can push some of those boundaries, but then also have good conversations with us because we know that what we're understanding is they're running away from us and they're running to their friends who are giving them wisdom that's probably not very wise. And so they're making all these decisions. And so, But then those that can offer them the best counsel and best wisdom, they're, they're running away from because maybe they sense a spirit of judgment or whatever that is. Lying is learned just like our kids learn to walk and to talk. Now, there's different kinds of lies. There's these little white lies that are nice, and some of you probably even did that today, you know, or this week. You kind of you said something, and it's to kind of protect yourself or protect others and to not really, it's socially okay. The blue lies are these lies that are intended to protect someone or to protect a group of people. And so, again, the intent is sympathy, compassion, or whatever. And so there's a sense of goodness about those lies. And then there's these black lies. These black lies are the ones that we, we know for sure without a shadow of doubt that they're malicious, they're self-serving, they're antisocial, and they break trust. And so you've probably been lied to. If you're old enough, you've experienced where someone has lied to you and it has broken your trust and it's difficult to overcome these lies. It, it breaks the relationship. It breaks the friendship. And so many of us would think, hey, I, I don't really lie a whole lot. But research tells us that if all of us are put in a position, most of us will lie. Neil Garrett, who's a professor at Princeton and a researcher at Princeton, did a, a study, and he studied a group of people by giving them a financial task, and it started with a lie. He started them out with a lie, and it allows them to gain money at another person's expense if they just continue this lie. So the lie has already started. So they received the lie, and now all they have to do is to continue the lie. And if they continue this lie, they will make money at someone else's expense. And then as a part of this research, they also attach people up to brain scans and all this kind of thing to kind of figure out, hey, how does this work internally? How is this working? And so here's what they found, is that receive that first small lie, and they would continue it. And each small lie just kind of built upon itself and they would lie more and more. And with each lie, the first time that they lied, the center of their brain where the lying thing happens, it lit up. Like it was like red. It was like, man, I can feel the guilt. I can sense that I'm lying. But with each continuous lie along the way, there was less activity. So finally, after a few lies on the same little train, there was no more guilt. There was no more lighting up of the brain that they had accepted that lie as a truth and as a part of their story. And so it's this idea of called pseudologica fantastica. So it's a big words, right? You can write that down. Pseudologica fantastica. In other words, we have bought into the lie that we've created and so lied and we've become so convinced by it, it's become a part of our story and we can't distinguish the truth from reality anymore. One simple lie, step by step. At first it guilts our conscience, lights up. But over time, as we continue in it, we literally, our hearts and our minds become deceived even by our own lies. And we're 
shaded by it, and we don't even concern with it anymore. What's the Scripture tell us? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, it says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in those who tell the truth. This word detests is, I don't know, how many of y'all have ever had that little Ipecac thing, you know, that your mom would give you if you had something, you would put it in, and it literally makes you nauseous and get sick. And so this is what this is. It's the Lord detests. He is in those moments when we lie, it's nauseous on his stomach. It literally makes him nauseous, and he wants to vomit up the things that we're saying because it's so contrary to his character, and that as his children, that as he looks at our lie and hears our lie, it makes him sick to his stomach that we, as who should be people of truth, are offering up lies an interesting idea. Even in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus kind of delves into this. He's talking to the religious people of the day. He's talking about lying and deception and all of this. And he says, you, you religious people, belong to the father, your devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now think about this. this is, Jesus is using this illustration because this is naturally true. A child wants to gain the approval, to gain the favor from their parents, right? That's why we bring them the artwork. That's why we do the different things. We bring our stuff before our mom and our dad because we want their approval to go, oh, Johnny, oh, Susie, that's awesome, and pat them on the back because we want our father's approval. So this is strong language, right? So we belong to the father, our devil, and we because we want to carry out his desires. Why? Listen to the next part, this next verse. He was a murderer from the beginning, again, part of his character, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So if we're one who lies, if we're one who's deceives, if he, we're ones that are deceptive, then we're actually speaking the native language of Satan, of the devil, and we're pursuing him and his desires. We want a pat on the back from him. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if you have lying lips then you are a child of the devil, that you're pursuing his approval. Look at the next, the next part of that. For he is, the father of, he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we are speaking Satan's native language. Even those white little lies, even those little blue things, those things that we're trying to make people, we are to be people of truth because our words matter. When we speak Satan's language, we're lying. How do we lie? Well, the first way that we lie is we lie to other people. We do this quite often. We do it well. We're experts at it. We do it to cover up our mistakes. We don't want people to know that we're not perfect. And especially in the social media world that we live in, we do our Insta stories, our Facebooks, our TikToks, or whatever you're doing. We filter things just right. We'll take five different pictures or whatever, have the portrait just right, we'll do in portrait or whatever, and we've kind of find, because we want the perfect picture for people to see our world, and when it's not that way, then we lie to cover up our mistakes. We lie to gain an advantage over someone else. We want to be able to be whatever, we want to be the one um, that's better than someone else. We, we lie to avoid other people. We just don't want to deal with it, and so we just lie about it. We just try to cover it up and move on. We lie to be, to be someone or something we are not. We'll tell stories about things. We'll tell stories about accomplishments or things that we've done. And, and they're not even our stories. They're someone else's stories. But we kind of, again, this, this idea of we've created a fantasy world for ourselves that if we're not this certain thing, then people won't like us. And so we kind of weave in stories and ideas 
that are not even truly ours. We lie to make people laugh. We tell stories and such to make people laugh. We Again, we do it to be socially polite. But then also we lie to other people because sometimes we're just downright ugly and mean and evil and we are malicious and we want to hurt somebody. And probably most of the time we do it because we've been hurt and we just kind of lash out and we hurt other people, but we want to hurt someone else. Now, listen, I've got to be honest and vulnerable. I've lied in my life. There's been at least one time, right? That's not, that's almost a lie, isn't it? That is a lie because I'm not telling you the full truth. I've lied more than once. But you're willing to go with that because it's a pastor. Like, surely he doesn't lie as much as the rest of us. And I'm like, I don't know, you know? And so, I mean, there have been moments. And so there was this one moment in my life, and I've gotten permission from my wife to share this, which I don't know why because it's about me. But there was one time that we were at the gym, and we were in the gym together, and uh, for some reason, she'd brought a friend, and we were on this thing called a treadmill. Have you all heard of a treadmill or seen one? Yeah. Okay, I don't believe in those things, but I was on it at this time. and Because uh, I don't believe in running. I think the only reason to run is to run from a bear for your life, and I always just check. When I bring people with me, I just make sure, I'm, okay, I'm not the slowest person, I'm good, okay? And so there's no reason to run. So, But anyway, this moment, I'm on a treadmill, and my wife's with me and her friend, and, and we're just going about doing it. I'm just like there, and I'm sure I'm watching a game or something, and and here we go, we're going, and all of a sudden, I just, I look over, and uh, I realize that my, my wife is uh, laughing at me. And she's like, Pfft. like literally to the point of she is so hysterically laughing, like she almost fell off the treadmill, and she's there, and like her friend's like going, what in the world? And it's drawing people's attention. Well, in the midst of her laughter and at me, I look around, and I realize that apparently my workout shorts smelt so bad that they had attracted extra dryer sheets. And so I'm jogging, and dryer sheets are literally falling out of my workout pants. So I don't know what that is. I don't know what my shorts prayed about. But these dryer sheets are falling out and over there. And my wife, who loves me dearly, I know, is not helping me. She's drawing attention to my weakness in this moment. And so people are, like, looking around, and I'm like, I don't know where these things came from. And I begin to just, like... All my lies, and I'm like, who, what, how come I didn't see these before? And then the next thing I know, like, I'm jogging. I think I've got it all covered up, and I'm jogging, and I can feel one, like, working its way down. And I'm like, and I pull it out, and I look behind me, because there's one of these big places where others are behind me, and they're just like, yeah. And, I mean, they're laughing. And so, I mean, there are moments, right, that we lie. Why? Because to protect ourselves, our pride raises up. Why would I lie about dryer sheets falling out of my pants, because in that moment I was vulnerable and didn't want to be made fun of, even by my wonderful wife. We lie sometimes, and when we lie, we speak Satan's native language. We lie to others, we also lie to ourselves. We are great at rationalizing our stuff. You know, I mean, how many of us have have dieted and kind of done this thing, and we kind of yo-yo, and that, you know, we think, oh man, I'm going to diet, and then Three days in, you have like a ding-dong attack, and you're like eating every little Debbie thing in the world. And you're like, okay, today's my cheat day, and then it happens the next day. And you're like, okay, I've got two cheat days. And you know what I mean? And so we're really good at rationalizing these kind of things. And one lie leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. And then we, we kind of move from this thing of just lying to other people to lying about ourselves. And then again, we end up in this fantasy world. I think about this. I think about the story of King David and Nathan. And King David... The story goes is that he was supposed to be going out to the war. It's a season where people are going to war, and he should have been going out to war. And But except he didn't. He stayed at home, and 
and he was in his boredom, he was up on the top of his his castle, and he was looking over, and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba, and he invites Bathsheba over to his house, and they're intimate, and through that relationship, they a child is there. But one part of this thing that's a kind of a hiccup is that Bathsheba is, is married to someone else, and so he makes sure, King David makes sure that Bathsheba's husband is sent to the front line so that this thing can kind of be handled. And so Bathsheba's husband dies in war, and so now David and Bathsheba can can be husband and wife and about to have this child. And and so that's where the story's at. And in the midst of this, David thinks that he's kind of hidden his sin. But that's the part of the story that he's he's literally he's committed adultery, he's, he's committed murder and all these different things. And so in the midst of this, he thinks, okay, I've hidden this from everybody. No one really knows what's happened. I've, I've kept all of this secret, all this different stuff. And then the prophet Nathan shows up at his house and he says, hey, David, how are you doing? They're having coffee, they're talking. And... Uh, Nathan goes, hey, David, I got a story I want to tell you. He goes, oh, man, I love your stories, Nathan. Tell me the story. And so Nathan tells him the story, the following story. He says, hey, David, there's a story about this really rich guy. He has a lots of money. He has lots of animals. He has everything that he could possibly want. And then there's this other guy. He's poor. He's just barely making it. As a matter of fact, the only thing that he has, doesn't have a whole bunch of money. He's living hand to mouth every, every week. He's trying to make enough money. And he has this one little animal that they're saving for a special occasion that they're waiting for. And lo and behold, the really rich guy has a friend come into town, and he wants to have a dinner. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm hungry. Let's have a feast. And the wealthy guy, instead of going to his herds and to his, the ability for his wealth to take from himself, he actually takes from the poor guy and takes the one animal that he has and slaughters them and has a feast. Well, David like stands up from the coffee table. He's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe. We need to find that guy. We need to arrest him, and we need to kill him, and we need to put him to death. And Nathan looks at him, and he says, David. You are that man. And David immediately fell on his face and began to weep. Our ability to rationalize our sin is overwhelming. We can tell ourselves that, oh, this won't hurt anybody, or no, no one really knows about this. And so we compartmentalize parts of our lives, and we think that nothing is going to get hurt. No one's going to get hurt whenever we have stories like this, and God is saying to us, you are that Man, if you think that you're without sin, if you think that your sin is not going to find you out, you are that man. Quit rationalizing the things that we rationalize. It's in those moments that we speak Satan's native language when we lie to others and when we lie to ourselves. You are that man. The other way that we lie to ourselves is we, we lie by the way that we live. We live in this filtered world again with Instagram and all this different stuff. But, and so we try to picture ourselves and put out this picture of this perfect life that everyone looks at. And we're like, man, I've got it all together. When a reality is that if we were to peel back your Facebook, Instagram life, is that your life is a mess and we don't want anybody to know it. We would never want anybody to know it because we go to church and we have all this. And so we have this image that we're portraying, trying to portray that is not true that our life is really a struggle. We're struggling with depression. We're struggling with addiction. We're feeling like our life has no purpose. We're struggling with um, different kinds of things, an alcohol, escapism. We're going to work. We don't want to go home because our home life stinks. And so all these different things, you fill in the blank of what it is that you're filling your life up with that, you're, that you don't want anyone else to know about, but you have this filtered life out here that everyone thinks is great, but inside it's dying. That is lying. Think about it like this way. 
How many of you have come to church, even today maybe, and you've had the worst week of your life, and someone has asked you, how are you doing? And you just light up, you muster up whatever from inside of you, and you lie in that moment and say, everything is marvelous, everything is great, everything is good. That's the same thing as putting a filter on your Facebook or Instagram rather than saying, listen, can I be honest? My life was horrible this week. I didn't have enough money. My husband and my wife, we fought. My kids, man, they they were my kids. Because this is, again, why do we lie to those people that are closest to us and that we should be most vulnerable with and most authentic with in a place like this? This is the place. If there is a place in culture, if there is a place in society where we can be honest and vulnerable, this is the place that we should be able to do it. Because we admit coming into this door, no perfect people are allowed. We are messy people. We are sinners. We are broken. We need healing. This is a hospital. Not a, this is not a resort. This is a place where broken people to come and admit, listen, God, you are God and I am not. And I'm messy and I'm broken. And to be honest about who we are and to quit lying about it because we're tired of lying. The scripture even says that our bones literally are weary from carrying the weight of the lies that we're carrying because these are not our burdens. And we want to live free. We want to live where we can have some freedom and vulnerability and transparency. And this is one of the places that it should be. It should be with some other people. And we choose not to do it because we want to protect ourselves. First John 2.4 says this. If someone claims I know God, but he doesn't do and obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. When we know God, we become different. Not perfect, not excellent, but there's a transformation of our heart and our mind and our eyes and our taste buds so that when we know God and it Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, this knowing is not an intellectual knowledge. That's part of it. But it's an experiential thing that you've tasted and you've seen and you understand and you know. And no one can take that experience away from you because it's a personal experience where you've encountered God. And so that when you know him, it changes you. And so what here, what, what John is saying to us, listen, if we have experienced God and had an encounter with him, it should be showing up in the way that we're living. And that as a part of that is that there's more truth in our life, that there's more wisdom in our life, and there's less deception in our life. And so that as a part of this, for us as followers of Jesus, when we know God, we have to get people in our life that allow us to tell the truth because we need the freedom of living in truth so that we can be transformed. So we're not weighed down by all this stuff. Our words matter. I think the root reason that we lie is because we have a lack of belief and a lack of trust, that God is God, that God cares for us, that God's concerned about us, that he sees us as his children, that when he looks at us, he doesn't look at us and think, oh, man, that's junk, that he looks at us and goes, hey, that is a well-made, handcrafted, unique masterpiece that I've created, and I have great dreams and great plans, and, and that you are a child of God. But that for whatever reason, we don't believe that, we don't trust that, we struggle with it. And so we try to create this own image for ourselves and we continue to lie and fabricate a life that's not real. And it's a struggle to keep up that image. 
Whenever God's just saying, look, just believe in me and just trust that I love you and I have great things for you and that you're my child and I want you just to crawl up in my lap and enjoy me. Quit lying. Be who you are and jump in the lap and just tell me and trust that there's not going to be judgment, there's not going to be condemnation. This is the safest place to share your hurts, your heart, and your desires. Jesus even says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a very exclusive language. I know some people struggle with that, but that is Christianity and what it means to have a relationship with God the Father. It's an exclusive thing. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I think also one of the things that we struggle with in this is this idea of confession. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that we haven't really run into a lot of people that if we confess who we really are, that will love us back without some something and a fear of judgment. And so this is a, a thing that we struggle with, but this is something that we're continually doing. This, but if we confess our sins, this is a continual action. It's not a, a one-time thing. It's a continual thing because every day we're going to lie. Every day we're going to gossip. Every day we're going to cheat. Every day we're going to do something that is contrary to God the Father and more like our, of the other father, Satan, that we used to live under. We run to that place because we know it, but we want to be over here. And so to get out of that place to this place this house, we have to continually confess. And literally, I see it as we have to, if this is our old house, if this is where our father of lies and deception is, whenever we say yes to Jesus, we're literally handing over the keys to this place, and now we're get granted new keys to a new residence. And so we're still figuring out the house, and we're running from room to room, and we're excited about it, but it's also scary. And so sometimes we set down the keys to God, the Father's house, we run to this house because at least we know it. It may be dark, it may be evil, but we run to it because we know it. We need to set down these keys and run over to this and just continue to explore everything that God the Father has for us. But part of that is confession. Part of that is finding some people and saying, listen, this this is the evil in me. And in those moments, be able to be vulnerable and transparent so that you can experience truly what it means to have the truth, the way, and the life and what it means to know God and to pursue obedience in Him. Last thing, in Ephesians 4, 21 and following, another illustration for us. Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Now listen, there used to be a day where I was pursuing girls, you know, high school, junior high, and all that different stuff. And so in high school, I remember going to Dillard's. Y'all remember Dillard's? Any of y'all ever remember that? So I went to Dillard's, and at Dillard's, I found the perfect shirt. It was this polo. I was like, ooh, that's nice. And then I actually found another shirt, like a button-down shirt with a perfect tie. Now, I don't know what the deal was, but back in that day, like, purple was my color. That was my jam. And so everything had a little bit of shade of color. Like, if I was going to woo a lady, it was going to have purple. I don't know what that was, but it worked, okay? Apparently, I'm married, all right? And so, I don't know. Was that, Did I ever wear purple? I don't know. Anyway. And so I had this really cool purple polo, you know, like kind of little deal. And then so like it was like a casual date. I would do that. I put my smell good sauce on and I was good. All right. And then if it was like a, a higher date, I would wear my little purple button down shirt. And then I had this cool tie and the tie even had purple. It had like little grapes and little, I think I still have it. I'll wear it next week for you guys. And it has like trees and grapes and it has birds in it and stuff. And I was like, man, I am fly with this. 
And so I would woo. But there came a time where I had wooed and I had won and I still had my purple polo. Because I thought, man, anytime I put this on, I look good. I just, it is like, whoo, this worked. I got it. Well, there came a day where it just looked, it looked like that commercial where you've seen that guy, he goes to the date and his shirt's all wrinkled up and nasty and it's like hanging down here below his chest and he thinks he still looks good. That's where I was thinking with my purple shirt. It was like different colors of purple and it had holes under the armpits that you know, you're like, you're like, you couldn't get real excited so you had to keep your arms down. I mean, it was that kind of shirt. And so I would, but I still loved that shirt. And this is what this passage is saying is that some of us think that we're still looking good in this old stuff. And we're being deceived by it. And then in reality, we kind of put this stuff on because it's comfortable for us. And reality is that God's given us a new keys to a new house and to new clothes. And they may be scratchy and itchy. And they may be a little tighter and fit and perfect. And we're just not comfortable in them yet. That's what Paul is saying to us is get rid of the things that you're comfortable with. This deception, this lust, this old way of thinking. And get into the new way and examine the fullness of the house that God has for you. Enjoy the clothes that God has provided for you. And yes, it's going to take some time and you're never going to even get to the end of the bounty of the closet. You're never going to get to all the houses. You'll never experience the fullness of God. But it's a continual journey. But a big part of it is believing and trusting that in every single room of God's house, there's new stuff for us to experience, new depths. And in that, that God reveals more of himself. And through that, we can believe in him more and trust in him more and know that he's a good, good father. But it comes back to even this, is that our words matter. And if we believe the lies that the old things are still fitting and still look good, that we're going to stay over here but the truth is that real life and real meaning and real purpose is in this house. Quit running back to this and go here. Quit trying to live over here and to put on your smell good sauce and make people think you look good. When you have the opportunity, the right, and the privilege to be over here. When we lie, we speak Satan's native language. May our lips, this week, my prayer is this, is that before we speak, is that your soul would become nauseous if the words that you're about to speak are not true and right. And that you would literally, you would just hold it in and say, God, these are not your words. These are not life-giving words. These are not true. These are deceptive. This is gossip. I will not speak them. I will hold them in, Father. I pray that I get sick, literally sick, so that I would not speak these words. That's my prayer for us. Because our words matter. As Jesus even says, the things that come out of our mouth come from our heart. And so I pray that our hearts that know God would be transformed and that we would only speak the words that Jesus would speak. That we would only speak the words that God would speak to others and, and begin to see others as they see them. That's the key. Is that we see them as unique, beautiful masterpieces of God and that the only words that can be spoken to them are words of life and of encouragement and lifting up and not of tearing down and of deception and of gossip. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that if we are living in our old clothes and we're comfortable with them, that we would set them aside. Father, that we would say yes to you and receive 
the gift of salvation through you and that our the power of the words of just saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. There's power in those words. Father, I pray that we would just be open and honest and vulnerable with those in our life that we can be. And that, Father, that we would find freedom in truth-telling. Father, that we would find freedom in not trying to protect an image, a freedom with being vulnerable and honest. And, Father, that the weight of the lies, the weight of the fantasy, the pseudologica fantastica that we've created for ourselves, that we would no longer have an attraction to a false life, but a life that is completely honest and vulnerable for you and even others. Father, may you give us the courage to do that and to live in that way. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.